uh, we're, we're, we're continuing in our Advent series. Now, traditionally, Advent begins the Sunday after Thanksgiving and ends on Christmas Eve. And so last uh, Friday night, Christmas Eve, we celebrated the birth of Christ. And we're going to continue in that. I've told you that we don't always follow the, the traditional flow. We don't always follow the traditional themes of Advent. And obviously, we don't always follow the traditional calendar of Advent either. Um, we're going to continue on this week and next week just uh, two-part series or, or two-part sermon, really walk in Christ. Uh, and and the, the scripture, as you, as you consider this, walking in Christ, there's, or, or walking in anything, really, the scripture speaks of this in a metaphorical way. So, so there's the idea that, that, that this walk in something is to describe a way of living, walking in um, some, something that God expects his people to do. So uh, for example, I, one of the things that I guess I could exa- I give, illustrate this with is the series just before our Advent series was a series on biblical justice, and it was titled from Micah 6, 8, Do Justice, Love Mercy, Walk Humbly. In fact, if you go back and read the verse, this is what God expects of his people, to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Right? This is the way he expects his people to live. And so Sometimes as the Bible speaks of walking in something, it's, it's that expectation of God for his people to live in a certain way. But another way that the Bible speaks of walking in something is as if it's the environment or the atmosphere within which we walk. So a, a way to think about that is that sometimes we might, walk, we, we might go for a walk in the park or a walk in the woods. That's the, the place or the environment. The, if you're at the beach, you might walk in the water versus walking on the sand. The idea is you're walking in something, literally walking in something. And so as we walked through our Advent series, pun intended if you didn't get that, as we went through our Advent series, everybody's tired. Nobody's, it was a bad joke. That's what it was. That's what, that was the problem. It just was really bad. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Now we're on the same page. Okay, so, so as we went through this, the reality was we, we were talking about walking in hope as the atmosphere in which we live, walking in peace as the very place. Now, these have real applications. They have real implications for the way we live and what we do, but they are the very things we walk in, peace, Hope, peace, joy, and love, they are the atmosphere, the environment that we walk in. But here's the rub. Here's the struggle. How is it possible? How can it be that a people who can't live up to God's expectation to do justice, love, mercy, walk humbly with him, how can those same people then walk in hope, peace, joy, and love? How, how can it be that we have any any chance for that atmosphere when we fail so miserably, when we fall so short. And in case you're wondering, we don't live up to the expectation perfectly. You just got to turn on the news, listen, to, look at your social media feed. We are not doing justice. We are not loving mercy. And we are not walking humbly, generally speaking, in the world. And to be a little bit personal, I'm guessing none of us are doing it perfectly either. So what hope do we have? What chance do we have? What, what opportunity do we have then to walk in this hope, the confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises, to, to walk in peace, peace with God and his people, to walk in joy, the, 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 the contented and satisfied happiness that comes from knowing and walking in right relationship to God, and, and to walk in love, this this unconditional, perfect, beneficial, uh, uh, sacrificial, good work that he's done on our behalf, what chance do we have of that? And that is why these next two weeks are so important. Because apart from walking in Christ, apart from Christ, there is no other opportunity for hope, peace, joy, or love. There is no opportunity for us to enjoy the things of God. And that's why this week and the next are so important in this series, why we can't leave them out as we talk about walking in these things. It's only made possible by walking in Christ. And so we're going to look today at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and see just how important, just how central 
God's work and his blessings are um, and, and how important it is that we are walking in Christ to enjoy them. So let's look, uh, beginning in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, the, the scripture says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in the Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, blessed be your name. You are so worthy of praise. I, I read these words. I'm moved. Every time I read them, I'm moved. I'm, 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 I just pray that we would be stirred today to see you as worthy of honor and glory and praise. That we would be a people whose lives are given to the glory of your name. <laughs> because we recognize all that you've done in and through your son, Jesus Christ. Because we enjoy all the blessings that you have bestowed upon us in and through your son, Jesus Christ. Would you move on us, Father, your people? <laughs> that the that the little celebrations that we've experienced this week would pale in comparison to the celebration of, of praising your name. We pray, Father, that you would just speak, that you would teach us and train us, equip us for every good work through the preaching of your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. After identifying himself to his readers and, and, and identifying his readers, Paul moves to this praise and worship. This, 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 these verses, verses 3 through 14, it, it, it's one long sentence. He, he starts into this proclamation of God's praise, and it just begins to build on itself. Some have called it a, a paean of praise, which is just pointing to Paul's enthusiastic and triumphy, wordy expression of praise to God. And, and you can see how it's building upon itself and, and coming at you with this, with this overwhelming flow of this powerful presentation of God's worthiness. I, I can't remember who it is or where I heard it from, uh, but back years ago when we preached through this or when we walked through this, this book of the Bible... I came across somebody that called it a waterfall of worship. And if you've ever stood under a waterfall, you know what that feels like, the water coming down, just gushing and pushing against you. And that's what it is. It's these words just building upon one another and, and expanding our understanding of the one that before it and the one that comes after it as we can stop and just dwell on who God is and, and what God has done. As we look at his work to redeem a people, to to adopt a people, to, to choose a people. And every ounce of it, every ounce of it, when we stop and we look and we pay close attention, we'll see every ounce of it comes to us in Christ. Every blessing, every blessing given by God is given in Christ. So that to the glory of God, we receive his blessings by faith in Jesus Christ. Every blessing given by God is given in Christ so that to the glory of God we receive his blessings by faith in Jesus Christ. In Christ, in him, through him, it's used like 11 or 12 times. You can count yourself, you can walk through there, but at every point, at every significant statement Paul is making, he connects it to this phrase, in Christ, in him, through him, something to that effect. It comes to his people, God blesses his people in and through Christ. And if we just start at the beginning, 
How has he blessed us? What has he blessed us with? Every spiritual blessing. It says it in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He gave them all. He gave every last spiritual blessing. He didn't hold any back. He didn't say, oh, well, one day I'm going to give you this one and one day I'm going to give you that one. And sometime along the way, if you, if you do the right things, I'm going to get you this one. No, in Christ we are given every spiritual blessing. Blessing in the heavenly places. Everything that the heavens has to offer, every blessing that the heavens has to bestow is given in Christ Jesus. Every blessing given by God is given in Christ. He gave them all. And all he gave, he gave in Christ. It's beautiful. Verse 6 tells us that to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Jesus, his beloved son, is our, we, we are receiving these blessings through him, because of him, in him. What are these blessings? What, what, what does it mean to be blessed? What, 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 give us examples, and, and, and Paul does. He doesn't leave us wondering, well, what are these spiritual blessings? What are, what are these, these things that we receive that are so good and that we're to enjoy and that, that demonstrate God's worthiness of worship. What are they? He begins in verse 4. He chose us. We're chosen. Instead of being rejected, instead of being judged and condemned, we are purposefully and specifically chosen. Not because of anything lovely about us, not because of anything that intrinsic to our nature, but because we are found in Christ of all of his blessings, this tends to be, it seems to me, my opinion, I don't have anything scientific to base this upon, but just in, in my observation and dealing with, with the debates of recent years and then, and then looking throughout church history, this seems to be one of the blessings that's, that's most contended or becomes most contentious and in, in turn most divisive, which is striking when you think about it because this is a blessing from God. And yet we debate over it, we argue about it, and we divide over it. And some people look at this passage and they say that before the foundation of the world, God looked into time and saw that they would place their faith in Jesus Christ. And, 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 and because of that faith that they would express in Jesus Christ, that they, would, that they would profess in him, that God elected them. That's a historical way that people have professed or, or defined this. I, I personally don't see it that way. It's not the way we teach it here. I think the context of this passage emphasizes God's sovereign choice. If you look through this passage, God isn't doing anything according to the counsel of anyone else but himself. He is sovereign. I'm not trying to remove our responsibility to to believe, but hold in tension the reality of God's sovereign will, God's sovereign choice, and our human responsibility. I, I don't think that this passage allows for that. I don't think the context of Ephesians allows for that. We were dead, it tells us in Ephesians 2. There was no choosing if God hadn't done something first. Personally, I think the, 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 the idea that God's sovereign choice, God sovereignly chose us, and as a result of his choice of us, we chose him. I think that better fits the passage. I think that better fits Ephesians as a whole. And, and to be quite honest, I think that fits better the whole context of the Scripture. Now... You may be sitting here thinking, ah, he's crazy. I don't agree with that. That's okay. You can think that. I made a bad joke. I proved already I don't have everything together. I'm broken and flawed. (laughs) But let's be careful not to divide over this issue. Let's be careful to recognize this is a blessing of God. Paul doesn't bestow it, doesn't show it bestowed upon us so that we can argue about it, but so that we'll worship. If we can't come to the place that we can see God's election of us as a reason to worship him, then we're emphasizing something else other than his glory. I'll say this. I I, I think, I I understand why we struggle with the conception of election. I understand this. I think I do. Because in our experience of salvation, and and let me say this from my own experience, my my own position. I think I understand why we struggle with this concept of election because in our experience of salvation, and this is where I was at, in our experience of salvation, we first experience God's response to us 
as a result of our choosing and trusting in him. I chose to believe in Jesus. Like there was a night that I, he confronted me, not a night, a day. I was sitting in a church. I walked into a church. I listened to this man's testimony, and God showed up, in the, in, 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 not, not in a physical way, but in my spirit, in, in my mind. The Holy Spirit is compelling me. This is your life. You have lied to everyone. You have told everyone a lie. You have pretended to believe. You've never really trusted in Christ. You will die apart from him if you don't come today. That's the way I felt. And I believed. And I resisted the idea. I resisted the the idea that something would impede upon that choice to believe. I, I think we struggle with this idea because we think it impedes on our independence and our free will. But if we're striving to maintain our independence and free will over God's sovereignty and God's blessing of election, we've lost sight of the fact that God was at work long before we ever existed. We've emphasized the importance of our response over God's sovereign work. Now, I know this is a struggle, and I, I, I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything necessarily, but, but I, just, I, I, I just would suggest that maybe instead of, a, instead of a people dividing or arguing, maybe the better thing to do is worship. You were chosen by God. You don't have to understand that. You don't have to even be able to fully define it. In Christ, God chose you before you were ever even considered in the world, before the foundation of the world, God chose you. Praise God. What a reason to worship him. It doesn't end there, though, right? Like we're chosen for something. We're chosen for for what? To be holy and blameless, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. We were chosen to be holy and blameless. There's two things here that I think are important for us to recognize. There's this idea of the position of holiness. Positionally, we are holy. His choice of you set you apart. It made you distinct in the world. He chose you. He didn't reject you. He didn't settle for you. He chose you, and in so doing, he makes you distinct in the world. That's what holy is. He sets you apart unto himself. So positionally, you are holy. Positionally, you are blameless. We're going to see how he works this out in just a little bit, but you are pure. You're without sin. You're you're, you're white as snow as if you've never sinned and will never sin. I know that's a struggle in and of itself, too. Because if we're ever honest with ourselves for just a moment, who can say that's true of themselves? But in Christ, it is true. It is the truth of who you are. That's positionally, you are holy and blameless. Now, there's this ethical responsibility as well. Being made holy and blameless, Paul calls us in the whole second half of this letter, to live in a manner worthy, that now, a manner that now expresses that holiness and blamelessness. Always resting upon his grace because we don't do it perfectly. But still striving every day to live holy, to live blameless. This is what we were chosen for. He doesn't stop at being chosen. He doesn't stop at this idea that, that God, out of, out of all that have ever lived, he's chosen us. He's chosen people like us. He tells us in love, he predestined us. We are blessed in Christ in this. We are loved. We're elected in love and we are predestined for adoption as an act of love. He proactively, purposefully sacrificed himself. Uh, all he gave, all he's done, all he's, all he's blessed, he's, he's done this in, in love. All that he's done, he's done it in, in love of, of, well, of his people. We are loved. Now, I'm not going to go any further than that. You can go back and listen to last week's sermon. We walked through a number of passages in Christ. We are loved. 
I would encourage you to go back and listen to that if you've got questions. That's the whole, the whole motive of what God's doing is his love for us. In love, he predestined us for what? Adoption. This, this next blessing that we've been, been uh, blessed to, to, to receive, this next blessing that he's bestowed on us in Christ is to be adopted. We've been moved from one family to the next. We don't belong to the family we used to belong to. We're no longer in Adam. We are now in Christ. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer calls adoption the highest privilege that the gospel offers, even higher than justification. Now, I'll just be honest. When I first read that book, the very first time I read that book, and actually the first two or three times I read that book, I really struggled with that thought because justification was so near and dear because I saw my sins so clearly. But I've become more and more convinced. The more I've matured in my faith, the more closer I've grown with the Father, I've begun to see what he's intending to say here. That that even greater than justification is the blessing of adoption. And and he contrasts it. This is his argument for it. I'm going to show you two contrasting ideas that help you see the point. He he writes in his book, Knowing God, this free gift of acquittal and peace, he's referencing justification, this free gift of acquittal and peace one for us at the cost of Calvary is wonderful enough in all conscience. But justification does not itself imply any intimate or deep relationship with God, the judge. Think about that. He could call you innocent and never walk close with you or you never walk close with him. But contrast this now with adoption. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as Father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. You're not just a citizen in the kingdom of God, in the, in the kingdom of heaven. You're a child of the king. You have the right to walk into the throne room of God and, and plead with him to work on your behalf. You have, you have his ear. When we pray, what are we, what, are we, what are we saying? Dear Heavenly Father, Father, the very fact that we call the God of heaven, the God who had the power to make something from nothing, the very God who has the power over life and death, we have the ability to speak to him as if he is our dad. But he's the perfect, righteous, good, and holy Father. He took care of all the legal requirements in in the justification process. He took care of all the the issues to make you a member of his kingdom. So that you were no longer an alien or a stranger. That you are no longer distant. But he brought you in and he gave you rights in his kingdom. As a citizen of his kingdom. But he didn't stop there. He adopted you. In Christ he adopted you. He brought you all the way into his family. Praise God that we're chosen. Praise God that we are loved. Praise God that we are adopted. And praise God that we are redeemed. That's the next phrase. If you continue to just follow this through, chosen before the foundation of the world for holiness and blamelessness. He predestined for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace with which we've been blessed in the beloved. In him we have redemption. We have been redeemed. The idea here, the, the terminology is one of, of being bought, purchased out of slavery. We're, we're being removed from bondage. Wait a minute, I, I didn't feel like I was in bondage did, did, before Christ, apart from Christ. Do you feel like you're in bondage? Maybe you've recognized, oh, I've got this addiction I'm struggling with. I've got this thing. But we were enslaved. We were in bondage to the world, the flesh, and the devil. In fact, I don't have these verses on the screen for you. But if you just look over in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. The way you used to live, the life you used to have, the environment that you used to live in was death, trespasses, and sins. Following, and this language is one of bondage, following the course of the world. Everywhere we look, the world is having an influence. Everywhere we look, it has a, an impact. Even in Christ, we have to fight against the influence, right? Because, oh man, you get on social media and poof, boy, you're ramped up. You're mad. Well, maybe, maybe you aren't. I found out I'm not mature enough to be on social media, so I, I limit my exposure there. But there, there's an influence that has an impact. But outside of Christ, we're in bondage to it. We're following after it. There's nothing we can do but 
follow the flow. Go after it. So what the world says is right and good, we think, oh, yeah, that sounds right and good. Why wouldn't I want that? It's not hurting anybody else. This is good. If it feels good, it can't be bad. Right? One of the, one of the phrases I've heard a lot recently is, is uh, go big or go home. Right? Like, that's, that's the influence of the world. Go big or go home. So you run into all this crazy junk because the world's saying, go big or go home. How's the world influencing us? What's the idea of the world right now? Is it godly? The influence of the world right now, is it, is it pointing us to Christ? You were following after the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. There's a prince that following after the prince of the power of the air, that's the, the spiritual enemy, the, the devil, if you will. We're bound to the world. We're bound into the influence and the impact of, of the spiritual enemy, the devil, who has authority, who's, who's now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so the, the, the influence of the world is driven by the spirit of the prince of the power of the air. Think about that. They're, having, they're the same. They're, they're, they're after the same ends. They're going for the same goal. Why? Because everyone who's in the world is, is, is being worked in and worked on by the prince of the power of the air. And I know, oh, well, come on, you know, it's, uh, we're, we're too scientific. We're too full of knowledge to think that there's some devil or demon or some... Su- okay. Believe that, if you will. He's got you deceived. In the same way that we can believe in God, we should... We shouldn't overestimate or oversell the power of the devil, but we shouldn't dismiss him either. There's a dark power at work in the world. And he is at work in this world to to point people away from, to draw people away from, to bind people to his influence. Because his whole desire is to defame God. And who among whom we all once lived. According to the passions of our flesh, we were bound by the world, the devil, and by our own flesh. We can't blame the devil. Oh, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. You did it because your flesh, you desired it. The passions of our flesh lead us around as if, oh man, it, it, it feels good. It must be good. I, I, I want it. I'm going to have it. We, we run after it. We pursue it. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they bind us. We're trapped in them. We're dead in this walk, he says. But Jesus buys us out of that. He purchased us out of that slavery, out of that bondage with his blood. Ephesians 2, 1 through 4 doesn't end without letting us know. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, Even when we were dead in those trespasses, even when we were in bondage to the world, the flesh, and the devil, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. When he comes to the end of that passage, and to the end of that paragraph, so that we, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before we were walking in death, in the bondage of of the world, the flesh, and the devil, And in the end, we've been made alive together with Christ so that we can walk in the good works that he's called us to. God blessed us by redeeming us by the blood of Christ. He freed us from this bondage. Praise God, we've been redeemed. Praise God, in Christ, we've been forgiven. It's easy to think about, easy to consider the ways of of how sin is just so rampant around us. But our sins, our sins, not, this, not, not other people, our sins have been fully, freely forgiven in Christ Jesus. He doesn't just overlook our sin. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't pretend it doesn't exist. He doesn't think, oh, I'll deal with that one day. I just, just, I just, I just can't deal with it. It's just too much. Instead, God deals with our sin in Christ. We receive forgiveness we are counted holy and blameless. Now, I told you, this, is, this, is, this, this thing that we were chosen for from before the foundation of the world becomes a present reality in our life. God, sometime before 
Before light ever shone, God had already known us. He'd already chosen us. He'd already predestined us for adoption. But there comes this point in our life where he, we are redeemed. We're brought out of this bondage. We are saved from our sin. And he forgives us freely and fully on the basis of Christ. It costs you nothing, but it cost him everything. Jesus had to put on flesh. Jesus had to live a perfect life. Jesus had to die a sacrificial death so that he could raise in victory and give us eternal life. Those things had to happen. God had to suffer so that the price for our sin could be paid. His his death didn't just purchase us out of sin. It did, but it also satisfied the debt our sin incurred against a holy God. And again, I know, here's the reality. It is difficult to remember this. It's difficult to believe this. Difficult to think about this because I know myself. I see my failures. I see my flaws. And, and I, I, here, here's the reality. I don't even see them all. You see some. Like, I've got blind spots, but you can sit and you can pick them out in me. Like, spend some time around me. You'll, you'll see. But guess what? I see them in you too. It's a two-way street. You see him in yourself. You see, you, here, here's the, this is it. How in the world can we ever think that we could stand in front of a holy, perfect, righteous God? Because we have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. Your sin is separated as far as the east is from the west. You are uh, uh, cleansed, pure, white as snow. And the, the image I have in my mind is I think about this purity and white as snow. You don't even have footprints on you, right? Like you've not been messed up because the kids are out running around with sleds and stomping the snow down. You're the, you're the new snow falling that's beautiful and pure and untouched. This is what he's done for you. By the blood of Christ, through his own suffering, he fully and freely forgave you at a cost to himself. He took your sin and he put it on his son and he took the righteousness of the son and he put it on on you. He says, you are forgiven. Forgiveness doesn't ignore the immensity or or the weight of sin. It confronts it head on and it pays for it. And it deals with it and it displaces it with something more beautiful, which is grace. Praise God we've been redeemed. Praise God we've been forgiven. Praise God we have been graced. I love this. One of my favorite parts of the whole thing is that we have been, we have received his grace. And not just a little bit of grace. He's lavished it upon us. It's funny, at, at our... Um, community group Christmas party, we always do this. We exchange little white elephant gifts. You know, we, some of them are gag. None of them are really good. They're always, almost always really bad. But Kara, you know, she's been making these signs and, and doing stuff. And, and she, I don't know what put it in her head, but she had it in her mind to, she, she on, on that little thing that they have, that laser cutter they have, she, she uh, made a bowl of gravy being poured over a biscuit. And she she uh, used, this, used this verse from Ephesians 2. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Every time I read that, I, I think of biscuit flowing over, or, or gravy flowing over a biscuit. Like just, not, not just a little bit of gravy, but just totally covering it. And then I ate biscuits and gravy yesterday morning, and I thought of the grace of God. I'm like, this is so good. Just covered up with all that milky smooth, salt and peppery taste, a little bit of bacon. Man, just the grace of God is good, right? Like, I know those are poor and pitiful metaphors. In contrast, the grace of God that has covered us so richly. But you are, you are a recipient of the lavish and unrestrained grace of God. You are no longer a child of wrath. You are a recipient of his grace, his unmerited, unobligated good 
will and good effort on your behalf. It's unmerited. We can't earn it. We can't pay it back. We'll never deserve it. And he, not, he doesn't have to give it. He's unobligated. We've earned, so the wages of sin is death. We've earned something. But he's given us something else instead. He's given us something far better instead. He's lavished his grace upon us. He's given us forgiveness. He's given us redemption. He's given us life instead of death. He has lavished that grace upon us. The other night, on Friday night, we were, if you were here, you heard a number of testimonies being shared of just how how people have experienced God's God's peace and joy and, and hope and his love and and if you remember, my, my son and daughter-in-law, they shared their testimony. And one of the things that Kayla said, it's always stuck with me. She shared that testimony with me before. It's always stuck with me. That there was a time where she would come to our church and she'd hear, hear me every week talking about our sin. It's just always, there's such a hard thing for her to listen to. Just, just always being confronted with the reality that we deserve nothing from God but death. We have earned his condemnation. We have earned his judgment. And then one day, by the grace of God, her eyes were opened to the grace of God. And she was finally able to hear the rest of that sermon, which is the same sermon every week. Oh, yeah, we are, we are sinners. We deserve nothing from God. But in Christ, we have been graced with life. We have been graced with redemption. We have been graced with forgiveness. We have been graced with his choice of us. We have been graced with adoption as his children. We have received his grace. And not in some small, this just, just dwindling stream, but an overflowing flood. That we are immersed now in his grace. So the reason we talk about sin is not so that we can sit and wall around in our sin, not so that we can just make people feel comfortable in their sin or make people feel uncomfortable in their sin. The reason we talk about sin is so that we can finally begin to get a glimpse of the beauty and the majesty of the grace of God. Because until we know what we deserve, we can't fully understand what it is we have been blessed with. We have been blessed in Christ, with God's grace. We have been blessed with Christ and and union in and unity with Christ, united in and with Christ. Continue, making known to us the purpose of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Sin separates, it divides and destroys. You could go back all the way through the Bible. You could go back even in your life and you could see how sin divides us. It separates us. It it, it, it separated us from God so that rather than run to God, we hide from him. It drives a wedge among us as people so that rather than being, be, recognizing the benefit of, of others, we seek to live independently. We even prize independence. And it keeps us from enjoying the creation that God, in, in the ways that God has intended. It's, it's a striking thing. I go to Africa and life is so close there, right? Like we, people would say, oh, they live a very primitive life. But it, it, you're so close to the creation. You're dependent upon the ground to produce. This year they were struggling because they hadn't had much rain. And they were continuing to talk about how the, the crops weren't good because they hadn't had much rain and the, wa- and the wells were low. So that if they got too much water all at one time, their, their well would run dry and they would have to, have to wait on the well to fill back up. When's the last time we've had to think about creation in those terms? Everywhere we turn, there's animals walking around us. There's their poop. Their smell. Their sounds, donkeys at night, man, they're the worst. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. I never heard a donkey till I went to Africa. I thought I knew what donkey sounded like, and then I went to Africa. It's not what you think. If you've never heard one. Anyway, we need to keep going. But life is close there. And we figured it out here. Oh, we're so advanced. We're so, we're so smart. We're so intelligent. We figured out a way to not face the consequences of the curse and the thorns and thistles that are produced by the creation because we can walk into a heated or air-conditioned building. We don't get bit by bugs at night because we've figured out ways to spray ourselves with chemicals to keep them away. Right? Just think about what sin has done. 
And we're trying all these ways to overcome it. We've figured out all these things that keep us distant from it. But finally in Christ, we, all that was broken, all that was separated, all that was divided, all that was destroyed is united again. A plan for the fullness of time to unite things in heaven and things on earth. You just consider this for just a moment. How is it that a sinful people separated from God in heaven can ever experience a blessing from heaven? You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. How? The division, the separation is too big. How, how, what bridges that gap? How in the world does the heavenly ever enter the earthly? Because of the unity that was worked in Christ. We now get to enjoy the heavenly. We, we get to taste heaven today. Not in its fullness. We don't know what. We can't even fathom what it's going to be. But we get to taste it today. We get to enjoy it in this moment. We get to enjoy the blessings of God. All these spiritual blessings. All the, all the, all the heavenly realities. We get a sense and a taste of them now. Heaven united with earth. Earth reunited and reconciled to heaven so that we now can have a relationship with God. We are reconciled to our creator. And the division that was wrought by our sin between his people or between people is now reconciled so that we can be united to each other as well. It's beautiful. This unity in and with Christ. Christ in us and us in him. That we get God and He gets us and we get one another. And and, and one day, all that's broken will be replaced and renewed and restored. This is the blessings of God in Christ. We're heirs being treated as sons. We have an inheritance waiting for us. You you go back and you can see we're adopted as sons. And all the ladies in the room, especially now now in this this third wave of feminism. Oh man, we got to make sure we... Let's talk about the daughters. I'm going to say this carefully and cautiously. You'd be a daughter if you want to. But in this culture, daughters didn't get an inheritance. So Paul's writing to a culture that, that he's emphasizing this. Not that there's a, a removal of male-female, but God's treating us all as a people who get an inheritance, male and female alike. He doesn't deny that you're a, a, a woman. He doesn't deny that you would be his daughter, but he's going to treat you as his son. So that you, alongside of me, we all get this inheritance. And what's this inheritance? I mean, well, this, 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 this thing that's waiting for us, right? Like it's not ours. We didn't earn it. We can't, we can't pay for it. It's just sitting there waiting for us. Peter writes of this inheritance in his letter to the church. He writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sounds very familiar, right? Start, starting very similar to Paul. According to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. This is the inheritance that's waiting for us. Imperishable. It'll never rot. Everything in this world rots. It moves to decay. Leave a flower bed for a month, what happens? Weeds take over. Leave an apple or a tomato in your refrigerator for a month, what happens? You don't want to eat it, right? Right? It rots. It decays. This inheritance is imperishable. It will never perish. It's undefiled. That means it's unstained with sin. It's never been touched by sin. It's pure. It's unfading. It's never going to lose its new car smell. Every morning we wake in heaven, we will find his new mercies. We will find it just as good on, in 10,000 years as, 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 as we did on day one. That's, that's the phrase from Amazing Grace. Right? And it's kept in heaven. It's kept. It's reserved. It's, it's being held. It's secure. This is the inheritance. We have been made heirs. Praise God. Most of us are worried about retirement. Most of us are saying, what do I do when I'm too old to work? How many of us really stop and think, what am I going to do with eternity? In Christ and eternity, you have an inheritance. It's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and being held for you in the name of Jesus Christ. Praise God. 
God glorifying is the next blessing I would point to you. And praise God, we've been blessed with his glorification. In Christ, God is glorified. Just look at this over again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul starts this with a proclamation of praise. In verse 6, he comes again, according to the purposes of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Right? This is all about God's glory. And then you come to the very end, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. God's primary purpose in all the world is his glory, showing his glory, showing his praiseworthiness, showing his power, showing his divine nature. God is demonstrating his glory. And because of Jesus Christ, we can actually see it. We can actually respond to it. And rather than seeing his glory and running from it and hiding, which is what Adam and Eve did after they sinned. Remember, they heard God walking in the garden. And what did they do? They ran and hid. And we've been hiding ever since. John 3, 16 and 17. I think it's around verse 17 and 18. Talking about people hating the light and hiding from it. That's what people have been doing ever since. But now in Christ, we can see his glory and we can finally rightly turn and glorify God. We can join Paul in praising God. And in the end, in all that he's doing, just know God will be glorified. Ephesians 3, 8 through 10. To me, though I'm the very least of all these saints, this is Paul writing of himself. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan for the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. You can see he's drawing from the the same language in chapter 1. Who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God is going to be glorified in all the heavens. No being, no, 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 no spiritual power, no principality. No one will be able to say God didn't reveal his glory. God will be glorified. And he's going to show that. He's going to represent that through the church. Our blessings are resulting in his glory. Christ's sacrifice is resulting in his glory. God will be glorified. And instead of us being on the outside looking in, we get to stand and face him, our father in heaven, and say, praise your name. Because of what Christ has done. And then finally, one last blessing that I would point you to this Christmas morning. This gift you've been given that outshines every gift ever given. Is that we are sealed. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You're marked as belonging to God. This may not strike all of us the way I would like it to. But it's almost as if we've been branded. We've been marked. We've been shown to be His. We always belong to something. We're always in bondage to someone. We're always in bondage to something. But in Christ, we've been marked as belonging to God. We are protected and preserved by Him until we actually acquire the inheritance that we've been given, and he knows us because he's marked us with his Holy Spirit. Not only are we in Christ and therefore reconciled to God, but God is in us through his Spirit. Christ is in us through his Spirit. We in Christ, Christ in us, we have been blessed. Every blessing given by God is given in Christ. So to the glory of God, we receive his blessings by faith in Jesus Christ. All these blessings come through Jesus Christ. Every, God, God gave them all. He, he, held, he held nothing back. He gave all the blessings he had to give in the heavenly realms in Christ. And all he's given is through Christ. And so you may be able to enjoy them. Or, or I'm sorry, let me say this differently. You may be enjoy, able to enjoy common grace and some good things that this world has to offer apart from Christ. But you'll not enjoy these blessings from God except in Christ. You must believe in him and him and him alone. So, believer, follower of Jesus, 
Don't pretend that you can measure up. Don't pretend that God expects you to measure up. Don't pretend that in some way that, that you can figure this out. You can do it on your own. I got God. I, I had him once when I got saved, and now i got to keep No. Walk in Christ. Every blessing God has given is in Christ. The way to enjoy these blessings is walking in him, believing in him, looking to him. Don't take your eyes off of him. Religious person who pretended to one day you believed in him and then sought to live a good life and impress people and prove to people that you're better than you really are. Lay your deadly doing down. Down at Jesus' feet. Trust in him and him alone. It's only in him that you'll be made complete. I've messed the end of that phrase up, but, but just know that it's in him and him alone. There is no religion. There is no practice. There is no work you can do to earn your way or pay your way in. Every blessing God gives is in Christ. Trust in him and him alone. And non-believer, I don't know if there's any here today, but Maybe somebody will listen to this later. Maybe there are. For the Christian, I want to say this carefully and cautiously, but, but I think it needs to be said. For the Christian, this life we live now, facing the difficulties and the consequences of, of sin in the world, This life we live now for the Christian is as close to God's wrath as we'll ever be. We are children of grace. But for the non-Christian, for the person who rejects Jesus, this life that you live right now is as close to God's blessing as you will ever be. Do not miss this opportunity. Hear the word of God. Every blessing he gives, he gives in Christ. So walk in him. Let's pray. Father, help us.